Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people in direct consumer, e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So this is series two of 2021, and the subject I'll be exploring is something close to my heart, food and drink. Over the next six episodes, I'll sit down with leaders and innovators in the food and drink space to get their state of play, learnings from 2020, and predictions for this year and beyond. On this episode, I chat with Amanda Hesse, co-founder and CEO of Food52, a leading innovator in the food, cooking, and home space, and named one of the world's most innovative companies by Fast Company in 2020. Earlier in her career, she was a reporter, feature writer, and food editor at the New York Times and authored several award-winning books. We discussed the early days of Food52, the success of bootstrapping, pioneering the content and commerce curve, the power of community, the recent acquisition of dance, and why failure was never an option. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Amanda, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I am doing just fine and am in Brooklyn, New York, where I live. Uh, in Brooklyn Heights. Lovely. My sister's in Bushwick. Sorry? My sister's in Bushwick. Ah, Bushwick. Well, well Bushwick is a much cooler neighborhood than, than <laughs> mine. <laughs> I, I, uh, we, 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 we strolled down to Brooklyn Heights and I think I'd probably prefer to live there. Um, but I get it. You know, the, the, the entirety of uh, Brooklyn is not dissimilar to where um, I, uh, I live in East London. Very similar kind of vibe. Um, so, yeah, that's nice. Um, <laughs> I want to start by maybe like rewinding a little bit and okay. I would love to learn what made you jump from food writer to founder. I had reached a point in my career where I knew I, I had a, an amazing job and I was really, there was, you know, things that, about it that I really loved, but I think that I, came to understand that I was not really cut out to work at a big company, but really that just that I have, I, I wanted to be more of a doer than an, than an observer. And when you're a journalist, you know, you are very much an observer. And I think that's something that's really important and valuable in the world. But I think that, uh, you know, instinctively, I'm more of a doer and I, I really hadn't been able to, to kind of embrace that in my career yet. And so it just felt like a moment, um, to make a change. And, you know, it was around the time that my husband and I were having kids, our, our kids, we had twins. And, you know, I think that at those life inflection points, um, they're kind of good moments to look at, you know, where, where you are, how you're spending your time. I mean, very much like, I think actually COVID will, will be one of those mm -hmm. moments for most yeah. many people. Um, but, you know, getting married, having kids or, you know, a, you know, death in the family, like those are, are moments that can really be pivotal. And, and, um, and I just, 
generally like in my life, I've, those moments have, have been ones where I've, um, I have um, kind of taken stock and made changes. And so I decided that it was time to um, pursue something on my own and off I went. And talk to me a little bit about the inception of Food 52 and, and not, not so much about the kind of the, the, how it started more. I'm interested in like, how did it go over the first few months and years? Like, did it go to plan? Did it not play out how you expected? Well, a bit of both. And I had spent the previous year before, before my co-founder Meryl Stubbs and I started Food52 working on a very different startup that was uh, much more of a kind of tech play. Um, that year gave me a a window into this world. And I learned a couple of things, um, well, more than a couple of things, a lot of <laughs> one of which was that, you know, this, I had found my people, you know, people who start companies. I think I, I really felt at home with that, but I also saw, you know, mistakes that I didn't want to make again, or, you know, things, you know, things that people, that go awry when people start companies. So I think, you know, I had a couple of things of those things were in mind and that, that, that informed the way we started Food52 and that, you know, we decided to bootstrap rather than trying to just sell our idea to an investor. And, you know, I, I do think that the bootstrapping, it, it imposes a lot of discipline mm -hmm. on your decision-making, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm became a really core part of who we are as a company and how we think and how we operate. And I think that has continued through to this day, 11 years later. We, but it was certainly not all <laughs> easygoing. In fact, I would say you know, my husband and I, uh, we always refer to the first, you know, five, five or so years of the company as the, the dark years. <laughs> and, and it was really, I mean, dark because it was, it was dark for me professionally. It was dark for us personally. We, it, we were, you know, I'd taken a lot of financial risk. We were mm -hmm. running out of money. Mm -hmm. We had to borrow money from our parents. Mm -hmm. It was hard on our marriage. We had young kids at young twins at home. It was really, um, definitely not, not a period that either of us would like to repeat. Um, but, uh, but I also think, you know, um, I, I, I went into this knowing it wasn't going to be easy. And, uh, and I think that that was <laughs> some source of, it was, it wasn't so much comfort, but it gave me perspective. And, and I knew that I didn't want to go back to where like working at a, at a company. And so I really was, I had a very much a, a no fail, like this can't fail attitude, even, no matter how hard it would be. And that's really interesting. And I, and I find um, I've talked to many people in similar instances. H how did you kind of get through those moments? How did the no fail concept play out? Did you imagine the life before and go, oh, okay. Yeah, no, I definitely don't want to do that. Yep. I'm on the right track here. Is that, was it as simple as that? It was a bit of, yeah, it, it, it's funny because my husband is uh, he's, written a memoir and I was reading a draft of it last night and he, in it, he mentions, um, a moment when, <laughs> when I, we got rejected by yet another investor and it was really crushing and I was upset about it. But I said to him, I guess at the, at the time before I like marched off to work, um, that, 
you know, I like, <laughs> like I'd rather like, um, uh, you know, like, how did I put it? But basically I was like, I'd rather, you know, like be, be you know, I, you know, forced to live in the middle of nowhere in Siberia than fail. <laughs> um, and, <laughs> I, you know, I had, I, I was like, yeah, I just, I had very um, catastrophic, um, like fears that like, if the company didn't work, like everything in my life would fall apart. It was like, you know, I, I really catastrophized the, um, catastrophize, catastrophize, I think is the word. Yes. Um, the, the, like the scenario, the fair yep. failure scenarios so that they were so terrible that who, who would dare let that happen? Um, I think it was a way of protecting, protecting myself. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, that was kind of my, <laughs> That was my method. Okay. So yeah, they, they, they don't recommend it. E okay. So we're, we're recommending exile to Siberia as a good day, um, <laughs> method to keep people going. Interestingly, as a quick <laughs> side note, I, I saw an article that um, they are giving land for free in Siberia to people that want to take it. Uh, oh, wow. In Russia. Yeah. That, that's how desolate it is. So interesting concept. You touched on it before um, you started Food 52 with, with Meryl, and I'm always interested in that kind of dynamic. So I suppose upon reflection, like, would you have done this with without a, a kind of co-founder? And then how did you guys go about it? Did you Were you super clear on like what each person was going to do and the roles, or did that kind of like evolve over time? So I'm sorry, I... I... It's hard to imagine going about it uh, without Meryl, and I think she would feel the same way. In the reverse, uh, you know, we had worked together for five years, and so we had a a really natural way of collaborating. I do think it was easy for us to seamlessly figure out who was doing what. What I think we learned as we started hiring people was that was confusing to everyone else because, <laughs> you know, it was as if we had this unspoken language that they couldn't, you know, they couldn't decipher. So we learned that we we had to be really explicit with um, with people who are working for us, and I think that actually helped us as well. And over time, yes, we became very um, clear because as the company got busier and more complicated, naturally you ha you have to define. Um, your roles and those 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 definitions changed over time often we would revisit we would say like <laughs> sometimes it was like a matter of like you know hey I, i'm not going to do enough of x and so can i do some of that while you do y and we would mm -hmm. sort of trade off it was a little bit of horse trading like yep, you know yep. um and i you know i do think that that that's really important and it is something in a company like ours especially it's it's actually something that we as a company there are a lot of people in our company who um grapple with this because we are very much across like very collaborative cross team um company because we do content and we do commerce mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. have a community and they all kind of mix together and so mm -hmm. sometimes you're you're like who who needs to really head this up and do we need all these stakeholders at, at a meeting? Is there too much overlap? And so it's, it's a very familiar um, challenge to me and one that I, I actually think is uh, as companies become more actually focused on their uh, customers, but especially just, you know, consumer facing businesses as they have more interaction with, with their customers and there's, and content becomes a natural part of the experience. 
I think actually a lot, this is probably a challenge that a lot of companies face um, around role definition and making sure that there's not too much overlap so that they're, so that things aren't super inefficient. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, as companies evolve, I think you need to take stock of where you're at how the leadership team's working, who sticks on what track, where there's overlap. And I mean, you touched on a really interesting point there and, I, and, and I'm, I'm really curious Food 52 from, from my perspective does sit at that really interesting intersection between like uh, community commerce and content. Was that the kind of always in the plan or did again, that, that, that evolve organically? That was very much always in the plan. Uh, despite what you read. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, people, it, it, the thing that I've learned over time is that when you're doing something different, it, it's hard for people on the outside. It's hard for journalists to understand what you're doing, hard for investors, because they want they want a pattern match. They want mm. to say, you're like mm. this, something yep. that's yep. familiar to them. And we weren't going to be doing something that we had, we were parts of what we do are incredibly familiar to people, right? A, a, a site that has recipes and yep. food content yep. and home content. Yep. We all know yep. that, yep. but a site that does that and also has a big commerce business yep. where it's not just affiliate, you know, sales, but it's really like we produce products. Yep. Um, we work with, a you know, hundreds of vendors, like we, it's a complex, you know, uh, commerce, commerce business, having that under one roof is, is all of that. Plus the community, plus the uh, many other things that we do are, are, is, you know, can, can be hard for people, people to define. And, and in fact, has always has long been kind of hard for us to have that really crisp elevator pitch. And so in the, um, so we understood from the very beginning that we wanted to start with content because content has the power of building connection mm -hmm. and loyalty and trust. Mm -hmm. And we understood that if you're building a brand that you want to have a you know, relationship with your customer that, that is dynamic and evolves over time. And that really is like a genuine relationship that content was the best way to really start establishing that. And it also allowed us to build the community because it, through content, we can, we could allow, we could find ways for people to be interactive in a meaningful ways with um, the, with the company and, you know, by producing content, helping us curate it, commenting, you know, per, just participating in the many things that we do. We had a shop, we, we, did, we weren't able to have our shop on the site for launch of September 2009, but by December 2009, we had, we had launched it. Mm -hmm. um, and it really, in the beginning, was just referring people to products. But it, more importantly, uh, it was us putting a stake in the ground to say that this place was going to be different. It took us years, though, before people realized that what that difference was and be, and and it took us until 2012 to actually sorry excuse me 2013 to actually launch our own shop like where we were transact like we were the 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 um merchant of record yep. and i don't think it really was until about a year or two ago that a a a kind of wider group of the public and whether that was like partners that we worked with or readers and shoppers or you know, investors really started understanding what we had built and, and why it was different and why it was, you know, ahead of the curve. And I suppose taking that kind of longer, broader lens and looking back on, on the, the journey there, like 
what were some of those major inflection points? I mean, you've already touched on a couple of them, but were there, were there any others that stand out, either good or, or bad? Well, there's certainly... I, <laughs> I tend to remember only the bad ones, but... Um, <laughs> you know, sure. There were just many times we got, you know, either, you know, no's from investors or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, we felt like we weren't, the work we were doing wasn't recognized or understood. Um, and I think again and again, no matter what the actual event or specific instant, what instance was, we instinctively just kept our heads down and just kept doing, and, you know, didn't get swayed by, you know, trend, trends that um, were happening in either the content or commerce industry. And uh, we just kind of kept doing what we were doing and what we believed in and and doing it with very spare resources because, um, you know, we had never raised a lot of money and just believing that eventually it was going to kind of, it was going to work out. And because we had grown our our company organically and our audience organically, we knew that we were doing something of value and we could see that we were getting to a scale that had meaning to like the business world and to actually the success of the business, but it just was taking a lot of time. And I think that, you know, my personal feeling was like, <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. I, you know, I'm not I, going to Siberia. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going no to way. Siberia. I'm, I'm in this. Of course, there are like compromises that you have to make along the way. And, you know, it was, it was, you know, we won't, we weren't, you know, we weren't able to hire the kinds of executives that I knew, knew could, you know, be transformative. We weren't able, because we just couldn't afford them. We didn't have a, an engineering team that was, you know, ever big enough. And we still feel that way. Like, you know, you yeah. always kind of feel like things are not quite where you want it to be. But I think that they, they were legitimately weren't like where we um, would one would have wanted them to be, or, or maybe they should have been. But we just had to stick to it. And I think that we kind of saw again and again, that if we did stick with it, um, eventually people like kind of came around or we grew or we, you know, like things, things worked out. And, and also people who gave us a chance, you know, as either, um, readers or, or as employees, um, you know, saw, saw, you know, eventually kind of saw, saw the value in it. And like, and we, we were able to, you know, get, get great people to work with us. So I would love to learn a little bit more about some of the, the new stuff that's on the horizon. Cause it feels to me like momentum is obviously, I mean, it's, it's many, many, many years in the making, but it really got some momentum at the moment. And, uh, we, you know, when we, when we first chatted, um, and I know COVID may have a bit of an impact on this and we'll come to that in a second, but you were exploring some, I suppose, some, some new ways to connect with your community in terms of like bricks and mortar or live commerce and, can you tell me a little bit more about what's going on in, 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 in those areas? Yeah. So we are, we've done some testing around live commerce and we're going to continue um, testing and iterating. It's something, you know, it's a concept that's really new. I mean, obviously there's been QVC and yep. HSN um, around forever and they have been inc- incredible businesses, but live commerce on the internet isn't, 
you know, isn't the norm here yet. And so that's something, you know, we always want to experiment with new uh, concepts. To us, it, it felt like it really made sense because we had noticed in our cooking videos and home videos that the predominant comments were actually around products as opposed to like cooking detail. And it, that really interested us because um, it clearly people were not only engaging with the content, but wondering like, Hey, you know, what's the, what's that plate that you're serving it on? Or what's that pepper mill that yeah, you've just yeah. used? And, uh, and so we felt like clearly this is something that, you know, people are trying to solve for in their own homes. And there's not really a direct conversation happening around that. And if we could figure out how to have that conversation in a way that is helpful to people without them feeling like we're just selling, you know, we're just trying to sell stuff because that's really not the case. We're really mm -hmm. trying to improve, you know, their lives in whatever ways that we can. And so, so we're doing that and we are also, um, we're also planning um, our retail strategy. And I, I kind of pause and hesitate to use the word retail because I think it, it immediately suggests a place that has shelves full of, of products that you can buy. And it's not to say that we're not hoping or going to have things to buy in whatever uh, location, you know, location that we do. I mean, I think we kind of, we've been calling, you know, it our, our bricks and mortar location. And actually the working title for it is the outpost. Um, yeah, yeah. And the reason, um, is because we want it to really be a manifestation of kind of who we are as a company, like a, mm -hmm. this hub for people where they can come and discover, they could participate in making content, they could, yeah. you know, come and hang out, they can be inspired, they could, you know, come and shop for a gift, um, or discover new products that they're not aware of, or just, you know, come and check out things, touch and feel in person, you know, products that they maybe they saw online. And so we, and, and also taste, you know, have a taste of Food 52, you know, whether that's like a community recipe or what have you. So we have a, um, I think, you know, really exciting concept in mind that we're, you know, looking to um, roll out. We don't, we're not on a specific timeline um, other than just wanting, wanting to get it out in the world because we feel like it's something that people will respond to. And it, for us, um, solves for, you know, it's, it's funny to be a digital company and all digital company in the food space, right? Because food is inherently social. It's yeah, something you smell yeah. and taste. It's very sensual. Yeah. So it, to us, having a, a physical location is going to, is, is such an important part of us really, um, uh, I think extending our, 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 you know, who we are as a brand and being there for people. Yeah, it sounds so exciting, like this multi-purpose space where, yeah, you can experience all those different touch points and see people cook and be involved. And yeah, I mean, it, it's so interesting. The, I suppose a, a, another recent development, and I would love to sort of discuss with you, is um, you guys uh, recently acquired the, the, the dance brand. And mm. my, my, my observation was, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like a very organic process. Like you, you'd worked with them for a very long time, you'd collaborated, and then this kind of came about. Like, is is that how the partnership sort of evolved, and what, how will it sort of play out from here? Yeah, we are so excited about this, and I I kind of can't believe it all worked out. We started working with Dansk a few years ago, selling selling dance products on Food Fifty Two, and 
they, you know, not to, it was no surprise to us, but they immediately, those products immediately resonated with our, our audience and, you know, they performed really well. A couple of years ago, I was at a, a lunch during a commerce con conference and I happened to sit next to somebody who was on the board at Lennox. And he said, oh, you know, we, you, you know, we love working with you and we should, you know, we feel like there's so much more we can do together. And, um, you know, you be very quickly become one of our most important vendors. And um, so that was, that was really nice to hear and encouraging. I didn't think anything of it beyond like, oh, this is a really great partnership that we can build on. And then a couple, and then more, and then last, um, last year, um, we received word that they were sell, you know, that Lennox was um, in a process uh, to to be sold to a, a private equity company, and that, mm -hmm. you know, maybe there would be a way to carve off, carve out Dansk. Uh, that didn't was not possible at the time. It, you know, we, we explored it. Um, it was it. Uh, we were turned down, and uh, so we thought that was um, you know the end of it. But then after that closed, they came back to us and very nicely said, you know, it was just it was simply a matter of like that, that deal is, um, you know, very consuming and they weren't really able to kind of explore this. And so we, um, so yeah, we pursued it because it, it's, it's this amazing brand and it has been around since 1954. It's, it's a brand that this actual story, not everyone really knows, which is Dansk. Um, you know, it was, um, it was the, the designs came were were done by mostly Danish um, designers, really you know accomplished Danish designers. Um, but the company was actually started by and uh, uh, a couple in America, mm -hmm. and <clears throat> so it started in the fifties. It really took off in the sixties and seventies, and during which time they really created these um, amazing, so many iconic pieces. Um, which are now you can kind of find on, uh, there are a lot of collectors of their pepper mills mm -hmm. and their, their flatware. And I mean, they made everything from textiles to furniture, to tabletop, to cookware. And for us, um, it was this, this amazing opportunity to revive a brand that we believe in and love and want to steward into the future. Um, but it also, you know, opens up opportunity across a lot of categories in home um, that, you know, that we, I guess we do have products in, but we don't have, you know, the, the sort of depth and breadth of assortment that we want to. And so this is helping accelerate that. But we really thought it was, you know, one of the things that we pride ourselves in is being, you know, storytellers and that like, these aren't just products. These are products that like, you know, are made in a certain way and, um, and, you know, by people who put a lot of like love in them. And I'm talking about really all the products across, um, our shop and, you know, there's that, that those are stories that aren't really, um, told very well, um, traditionally. And so that's something that we do as a, as a, as a commerce business. And I think it's really what has kind of distinguished us as a, as a commerce business. And we felt like with dance, it was this incredible history and narrative that, could be brought back to life and also carried on in an interesting way in the future by collaborating with, you know, um, like carrying on the history of dance in the way that, in the way that they have, or the tr traditions, I should say, of dance of, of, of like working with great designers, but we, you know, and we can do that with, you know, new, um, you know, world renowned designers um, and, and also revive some of their, <clears throat> you know, great designs from the past. It just was such a rare opportunity to, um, 
yeah, steward our heritage brand. And, um, and so that's why we pursued it. Yeah, it's really interesting. I, um, it felt, feels like you've kind of partnered with a piece of history. And I think the stewardship is a nice way of looking at it. Like there's, is there, correct me if I'm wrong, but yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of like old archive designs and stuff that you guys are going to kind of get access to. And then, as you said, you've got the ability yeah. to sort of collaborate then with new designers as well and kind of meet in the middle. Yeah. I mean, it's, what's been really amazing and fun is that we've heard from people around the world who, you know, have a connection with dance or just, or love dance or collect it. And so we've learned about a lot of designs actually that way that we didn't know existed, but we've also been able to connect with former um, designers at the company, as well as children of some of the, um, uh, for instance, Jens Kiesgaard, who was their most well-known designer, uh, uh, you know, we've been in touch with his daughter who lives in his house mm-hmm. and where, you know, they he still has his designs. And so it's, that's going to be a really important resource for us. And, um, and we're just really like grateful that she's open to talking with us. So I don't want to dwell too much on the past year, but I feel that uh, the enormity of it is inescapable, <laughs> especially at this point where we're not like fully, I'm not going to say back to normal, but in, in a, in a place where, you know, we're, we're through whatever this period we're calling it an unusual time. Right. Mm-hmm. But I suppose looking back on the last 12 months, my sense is that food in particular has kind of galvanized people. Um, and a good example of this is on my street, I didn't really know that many people. Like I, I knew like our neighbors and we're, we're pretty friendly, but th- over the last 12 months, like a sourdough group has um, popped up on WhatsApp and now there's a person on the street that makes sourdough. And now we know kind of <laughs> everyone. <laughs> and I thought that was like a really lovely sort of thing that has happened. So w- what do you think about food and that kind of thing is it that has kind of brought us together? Well, I think that, you know, food has forever been this unifying and, you know, bonding source and, and, you know, and obviously enormously important source of comfort. Um, and I think, you know, at a time that was last year, like it was so stressful, you know, f- food and also because it was, it was really hard in the beginning, uh, to, you know, get the ingredients you needed or wanted. And which was a very new experience for many people, you know, not everyone, obviously there are many people who have to deal with this every day, but, you know, I think that it, it was the first time that a lot of, certainly in America, like many Americans confronted having to like, not, you know, not have a, this giant supermarket full of mm-hmm. things to select, but that actually like a very limited, um, um, uh, assortment of, of foods to cook from and having to figure out how to get food, get dinner on the table and that cooking was not a, you know, suddenly not a choice, but something that was a necessity. And, um, and I think, think that, you know, it, it brought back the importance of gathering around the table. It gave, I think people being home, it gave people an opportunity to, you know, I think before the pandemic, a lot of people, you know, common complaint was just that everything was, everybody was so busy and, always traveling and, you know, it was hard for families to get together, um, to sit down at the dinner table. And I, I just think there were a lot of things around what happened last year that, um, you know, had, had the effect of 
making people really, you know, kind of value what it takes to, to put a meal together, what it means to them um, and how it can bring them and their families and, and friends together. And I think even actually the deprivation of not being able to sit, sit together, you know, have like not being able to like, you know, see relatives or mm-hmm. have friends mm-hmm. over um, really um, in a way brought, brought people together, like obviously not physically together, but emotionally together. And, you know, I, I don't know if you did this, but I know my, we did, and many others, like, you know, just had Zoom dinner parties with people. Oh, because yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. important to like share Zoom everything. Zoom yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah. And share, you know, share meals together. Even if you have to do it over a screen, like there's a human desire to be together when you're eating. And, um, and, you know, so I, I, last year was terrible. And there were like, it was a, just a rough, rough year on so many levels. Um, and, and obviously, you know, tragic for many, many people, but I do think there are also some good things that, you know, hopefully will stick with people that, you know, where we, we were all kind of forced to assess like what, what matters to us in life. And just sort of taking a, a sort of look back on, on 2020, what, what, what did you think was it like a key learning? And I suppose, I suppose getting back to 552, like what, how did the team handle it? How did they like adapt? How did that all kind of play out? Yeah. Well, I, I was reminded that creative people often thrive when constrained and the you know, last year put a lot of constraints on how we produce our content and, and our creative output. And initially it was hard because it felt like we, none of our systems can work. We can't be in our studios. We can't be together. We can't, you know, like light our videos and do all the things that we had traditionally done to like make what we, you know, we thought was good content. And I think that we very quickly saw that actually it was an opportunity to be more creative and we were forced to find creative solutions and come up with new ways of doing things and you know making them um making them good quality and um and and you know and finding ways to really you know kind of resonate with people through our, through our content so i think actually it forced us all kind of out of our comfort zone in a way that um was really positive and that I think is, is, was a good reminder to me that we do need to push ourselves to not get too comfortable, um, you know, in normal times. (laughs) And taking a lens sort of into the future, I suppose my sense is, you know, based on your trajectory, the, on uh, a number of times you've been ahead of the curve, right? So you've got, um, from my perspective, an interesting and good sense of what's coming around the corner. So I suppose with that in mind, like what, what do you see as predictions for, um, I suppose the rest of this year into next and maybe into the, the following year in, in the, I suppose the, the, the commerce content and community space. Well, I can tell you what we're seeing, which is pretty, I, you know, it's heartening, you know, last year was like this time of last year, you know, our food content, our cooking related products, like we're just, it was, you know, like we'd never seen such intense focus. 
And one might think that as the vaccination vaccination rollout happens, that you know our business would quiet down. And it certainly has on the food side. Like I think people are just so delighted to not have to cook every night, but also like <laughs> wanting to really like support their local businesses, yeah, wanting yeah, to yeah, go definitely. out and yeah. see friends, and you know, I all the things that you know we we anticipated, but we didn't. What we what we hadn't necessarily. Um, I mean, actually, we had. Well, I think we, we had we had thought about, but not maybe didn't understand the enormity of it. Was just that like was that now that people spend a year in their homes and they really I think value their their home environment in a way that they hadn't maybe previously, like our our home content and home product sales have been just crazy. And I think mm-hmm. it's because people now are like they they not only want to see their friends, but they also want to have them over. And they want to entertain and they want to invest in making, you know, their home feel like a reflection of who they are. And so a lot of our outdoor entertaining and products like that are doing, you know, better than ever. And Mm -hmm. that to me feels like a real, really encouraging sign that, you know, people aren't going to have a rejection of home post post pandemic. They'd have a new relationship with it. And one that, you know, maybe goes deeper than it was before. My sense is you've met some interesting people along the way, Amanda. <laughs> and I would love to know, are there any that stand out as like particularly interesting or inspiring or yeah, uh, anyone that it springs to mind? Do you mean people who, well, I, I, I would in, like immediately point to community members who I've gotten to know over the years. Yeah. And- I mean, anyone, do you know what I mean? Whether it doesn't necessarily yeah. have to be like people that other people know, but I mean, you've got a huge community behind you. you. You know, you guys have got um incredibly interesting partners and, you know, there, there's just a very interesting, I suppose that intersection that you sit in is a very uh, active one and it's got so many different parts to it. So yeah, I'd love to understand are there any interesting people that stand out um, that you've met along the way? Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to kind of pick out a few people at random. There's one of our community members, his name's Tom Hirschfeld, and he is, uh, he's a dad uh, who lives in Indiana with, he and his wife have two kids, and he's just, he's a photographer and avid cook, and, you know, he's, he's just been a, like a consistent contributor on, on our site. And, you know, it's really interesting to like, I don't, like, I know him and yet I don't know him. Like we, we email with each other very occasionally, we follow each other on social, but like getting to sort of know somebody from afar and like, see how like their cooking has evolved and his mm. photography has evolved. Like to me, that's like, he's, he's like an extraordinarily like dynamic person who's constantly like pushing himself to like learn new things and explore. Like he's a creative, you know, he's just, um, a born creative person. And, you know, whether it's like him gardening or writing or, you know, taking photographs, he's, you know, continually kind of like learning and, and iterating and tweaking. And, you know, I, as it's been just really like inspiring to me to be able to come across people like him and sort of see their evolution. You know, sometimes it's, it's like more passively, you know, I kind of like come across something that he's done or like, or, you know, I'm actively, you know, re, you know, reading or engaging in something that he's created. And so um, that that's been amazing. And there's like so many examples of people like that. Um, 
I think they, you know, as a entrepreneur, it's been really great to meet, uh, you know, when, when you found a company, you naturally kind of end up meeting other founders because mm-hmm. you're all trying to learn from each other because you're essentially, you know, building something out of nothing. Um, and I always find pretty much any conversation with a founder um, inspiring because people go about it in lots of different ways and often have different things that drive them. And, but I, I like, um, uh, I'm, I'm always interested in people who are willing to take risk and understanding how that, how they, how they, how they manage that. And again, I suppose taking a sort of uh, reflective lens, if, if you were going to give your younger self any advice, what, what would it be? That's a tough one for me because I think that a lot of the things that I have learned from and adjusted to also drove, drove me to in the, you know, when I was younger, like I, I was never, I was anxious, you know, and I, I was, you know, terrified of failure and I I was very impatient. I, I think that I'm happy that I have learned to become more patient. At the same time, if I look back to my younger self and I said, and if I advise my younger self to be less, to be more patient, I'm not sure that I'd end up here. I don't know. It's a conundrum, like with you, when, with the, like looking back and giving, <laughs> giving advice, because, you know, sometimes your flaws are, are actually, um, do do have a, a positive impact on you yeah well even, it's, if, it's, even it's, if they're painful yeah well it's, it's i i like the question because of the kind of well this is like one of the most interesting answers i've ever had to be totally honest with you because i think there's a natural inclination to sort of uh crit- critically assess your life and go okay well where were the things that didn't go to plan and go and correct them however i, I suppose it, what's wrong with saying i wouldn't give myself any advice i tell myself hey just do what you did because look where i am like this is pretty good you know so may, maybe that that is 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 a, is a good position to be in too you know my mom says um sometimes i would complain to her that like i wish i had you know really understood the the college landscape so that I would have chosen a better, a college that was a better fit for me. It's not that my college wasn't good. It just wasn't a good fit for me, but she always says, well, but yeah, if you had been happy at college, you wouldn't have been driven to like figure out what you really want to do. And I used to really not like that answer or that, you know, her sort of defense of that. Um, but I also value it more now because it is, it is true. Mm. I think that maybe if I was, you know, if I had been happier at college, I might've, you know, eased into something and found myself unhappy later. (laughs) I'm keen to sort of start to sort of um, wind down the conversation. And I've got a question that I think can sometimes, like sometimes people ask like, what, what does your like typical day look like? And I just not into that. So I would love to understand from your perspective, what does your ideal day look like? Morning person, nighttime person talk me through it <laughs> i'm going to answer this and then my husband will refute it uh, <laughs> but well we can put it in the memoir and then you know it's it's, a, it's it's all part of that yeah yeah i well this is like i it's a question that i am actively working to i would say solve and improve because i'm not spending my time in the way that i really i think i w- would like to i i love 
doing a lot of things and I love problem solving. I am, um, but, and I think this has been a, a particularly acute during pandemic, but the Zoom meeting, you know, like I, I have so many meetings and I am, mm-hmm. uh, and I need to sort, I have to, I have to figure out how to manage them better and not do as many meetings because I am best and I'm happy at my ideal day is, you know, like a handful of meetings, but then room to have, um, headspace for communication and, mm-hmm. and thinking, um, and future thinking. And, I'm sure this is an answer that you could, you know, you would probably commonly get from maybe leaders, but um, I think actually really, actually really resolving this is, is, is going to be critical for me, for, for not just me, the business. And, um, and it's something that I haven't, I haven't um, solved for yet. Yeah. I look, it's, that's, that's, that's a very tough one. I think that the, um, you know, the, the time that we're in has, has meant that there is more of a need for that face-to-face but you can't be face-to-face so you're kind of forced into a a world that is just saps at the time through through virtual meetings and yeah trying to get that claw that time back i i appreciate that's a that is a very difficult thing to achieve i'm keen to sort of touch on two final questions okay the first one what does food 52 look like in 2023 We will have many more contributors across many more platforms, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. We will have an in-person experience. We will have potentially a magazine and more, more um, catalogs. And we will have a deeper community experience and ideally an even greater sense of kind of personal connection. Mm. Final question then. So this is something I'm asking to all my guests on this, this series, which is focusing on food and drink. Um, it's your last supper. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I'm going to slightly tweak it because I've realized that not everyone, obviously not you, but not everyone likes to cook at home. Some people like to go out. So are you staying in? And if you're staying in, what's on the menu? If you're going out, where are you going? Definitely staying in. Okay, great. I uh, talk, love talk, talk me through it. Where, where, where are we at then? Are we are we big tasting menu type thing, or no. is it just you know one? Pretty thing? simple. Okay. It's it's. It, I would have like an antipasti platter with lots of good cured meats and pickly Lovely. things yep. and. Um, and really delicious bread and um, butter with sea salt and um, <laughs> and radishes and like sort of like lots of little um, distinct strong flavors yep. and um, my husband would have a beer and I would probably have first a an americano which is the a basically a um, a negroni with club soda rather than gin nice. and then I would maybe I'd have a beer um, and then have um, really good chocolates for dessert lovely okay and what where, where is, is there any specific chocolate hmm 
white dark. dark yeah okay so dark a specific brand or that, that does no not no not a specific brand but just you know really really good ideally it'd be like a you know a bunch of different little chocolates oh okay well okay so maybe maybe we're going in antipasti of chocolates afterwards something like that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that sounds uh, equally simple and delicious at the same time. I, I like it. Um, Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. That was fantastic. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. There you go. A massive thank you to Amanda for joining me. I would highly, highly recommend going and checking them out at food52.com. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do the same. I'll see you next time. Taking notes to the don't like.